Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Dr. Joel Toot, who's an IDOC member and is also owner of Hometown Eye Care in Littleton, New Hampshire, which opened in 2018. And while I'm sure there's plenty of interesting things about Joel, we're going to focus on on something today that um, you know we invited him on this podcast because his practice reached a milestone much sooner than a lot of other cold starts. And in fact, many practices never reach this this milestone. Within five years of opening cold, Hometown Eye Care became a multi-million dollar practice. So we invited Dr. Toot on to basically discuss his five-year journey and what tactics he employed to get to where he is now. So, hey, Joel, how are you? I'm well, Steve. Thanks for the invite. So, you know, I was thinking about this before we started. What makes people successful? What allows people to get successful, maybe some faster than others? And and I think sometimes when we hear about people achieving any level of success, we initially assume that there's something special about that person or their circumstances. And I, I like to look for those things that lead to to becoming successful or early success. And a lot of times I just find that those people tend to be more action oriented. There's, you know, the world is make, made up of thinkers and doers and it, they're both important. And at times we're both, but I think some people who who could achieve success maybe a little faster spend a disproportionate amount of side on the thinking side as opposed to the doing side. So Absolutely. would you share that sentiment? I completely agree with you on that. I, uh, you know, for me, um, I knew there was a point in my career where I had to either pursue it or let it go. And for me at the time, when I opened my practice, I was 37 years old, which is a little later than some I had practiced for at least 10 years prior. And uh, I'm glad I did. I, I gained a lot of experience in the uh, as an employee, but I knew I could do better as an owner. And so, which is part of the reason I, I came back to my hometown of Littleton to practice. I had a lot of connections on the Littleton and I felt as though I could give back to the community the way they gave to me when I was younger. So that was one of my main motivating factors is to open a rural optometry office uh, to serve the community that that helped me uh, when I was in school. So I'm going to have you walk us through years one through five. And I feel like I need to put that disclaimer, like you see on the infomercials yes. where, you know, it says like same results won't apply to everybody. <laughs> but yeah. I think a lot of things we're going to talk about will apl be apl applicable yeah. uh, to many practices. Before we get into year one, though, I would like to go back even a little bit before that three months, that six months before where you're you're contemplating this, you're lining up the financing. What is going through your head? Because I think that's another issue you brought up. I was working for somebody else, felt I could be more successful. I think that fear of risk a lot of times yes. is what causes us to hit pause on our decisions. Surely you felt some natural human concerns. What if this doesn't work out? It feels oh, risky. Sure. It's a lot of money. What was going through your head at that point? Because I think that's going to be helpful for young ODs or, or ODs considering this um, to, to better understand that. What was going through your head and how did you overcome that? Well, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the the pre-year one thing. I was actually going to start with year zero because uh, year zero is the planning phase, right? This is when you're still employed. You're still trying to figure it out. And at the time, you know, I um, I knew there was a large demand in the area. I had done a lot of demographic research in my particular area. I built a business plan, which kind of helped me start the foundation for this plan. And you know, at the time, I my my two sons were very young, uh, six and three, 
so it's a big risk. You know, you have a mortgage, you have school loans, you have other things. And so when you, when you, uh, you know, have to plan on this, you have to factor in those, those financial decisions and they're big ones. They're heavy. You know, I, I remember coming home from work and seeing my two sons looking at me and I'm thinking, do I really want to do this right now? <laughs> but regardless, um, you know, it was, it was a desire. And so I started, one of the things that really helped me is I, I didn't know a thing about business, you know, in optometry school, they don't teach you, at least in my year, I was the class of 2007, you know, in, in my year, they didn't, they didn't teach you any business courses. And, uh, you, you know, we don't have business owners, at least my parents weren't. So for me, I had to kind of learn from scratch. And, you know, I've always been a good budgeter. I've always been able to maintain a, a solid budget, reducing debt service, et cetera. So, for me, I went on the Small Business Association website, and they actually had a really good outline at the time. I don't know if they still do. Um, and it was basically step one from your thought to step 10 to, you know, to opening. And I followed the template and the guideline, and I'm telling you, it helped a ton. Um, and, and I would set a plan, and I would achieve these. Each step I would follow, and I would achieve these as I developed my practice, everything from you know starting a new uh, entity like a PLLC and, and then working your way down the list. So that was kind of the starting point where I really sat down and did that. Now, from my initial thought of doing this to the opening day, it took me about seven months. So, you know, and I know that's fairly quick, but in my current employment situation, um, I knew that there was a contract coming up. And so it, within that time frame, so I really wanted to get the ball rolling. I knew if I, if I was going to do this, I either had to commit to one or the other. And so for me, I, I decided to commit to the practice and that's what kind of propelled me to that point. But it is very scary. I would say that, you know, year zero through maybe one, one and a half is, is a very trying time. I'm six, four. And I, at the time I was 180 pounds and it's soaking wet. And I'm telling you, it was for me, that's as smaller than I was in high school. So it was it was a stressful time, but in the end, you're glad you do it, and and we'll see if we can help you kind of walk through some of the steps of that. So let's jump into year one. I, I yeah. remember uh, OD I, I worked for once in the past. So when I opened my doors, I was lucky if I had two people there. He goes, but I was going to make sure that they met each other. So I booked <laughs> them back to back. So it looked like when they came in, there was at least somebody else there. But yes. what was year one like for you? Because I think that's the that's a tough year for many practices, not all, but for many, because there's just not many people there. And I would think for a lot of doctors, they might even start having second thoughts about whether this was a good decision. Absolutely. You know, a doctor once told me year one is going to be a little slow. And so the best thing to do is load one day, right? So he says, if you're, if your best day is Friday, you put all your patients on Friday and all of those patients, when they come in, they see a waiting room that's fairly full. You know, they see an optical shop ready to go and they say, oh, this guy's, you know, he's new and he's right off the bat. You know, he's like, wow, he's got patients in the chair and word of mouth gets out. Now, in our community, we're a very small blue collar community and we feed off many, many small towns around us. Right. So our, our radius of caring for patients is like two people travel over two hours to get to us. Now, you know, I have some good friends in Connecticut that say their patients wouldn't travel 10 minutes to get to them. So demographically, it's very different. But in a rural setting, people will travel for eye care. And so in this situation, you know, year one, we we uh, we advertised heavily, okay? And you have to be willing to wear all the hats. You know, I uh, I was everything from the credentialing person for myself to, the janitor, you know, I would clean the office every night or every other night to the doctor, to the technician. I worked up my own patients year one. And 
I remember day one, I remembered it vividly. Uh, I had two staff members. I had an optician and a receptionist. Uh, they're still with me, by the way. And uh, and and those people, the, the three of us opened cold. And I'll never forget, I saw six patients that day and I was exhausted. <laughs> I remember going home and I had, I had done everything myself. Now, previously, when I had worked for other doctors, I had technicians that helped me and I had billers that helped me and I had various other people. And this is ground zero here. I mean, we're starting from scratch and I was wearing every hat. So you have to be willing to wear every hat. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I was doing 80 to 90 hours a week that first year. You know, it was very difficult. I was thankful that my kids were quite young because they weren't into sports yet. They weren't into uh, big events at school. They were still in the preschool years. And so, you know, they had their set schedule and, you know, most nights I saw them, but some I didn't. And, um, you know, you'd go in early. I'd be there at 630. I'd work till, you know, 738. And then I'd go home and and then I would do weekends. And it, it was a lot. But you know, you, I started with the core value, knowing that I'm growing this from the ground up. I know there's a sacrifice. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And I had a wonderful spouse that she has helped me throughout the entire venture, but she, she was absolutely a, a pivotal role in, in my success because she knew the commitment I was, I was taking on here and she knew there were going to be sacrifices. Um, on, on the other hand, you know, in year one, I recruited those two people and those two people were people that I had known uh, one I had worked with previously, and one was actually uh, the mother of a son of a friend of my son. So essentially, um, she was terrific. She, the two of them have been with me since day one. One has since turned into an office manager. One is uh, one of my uh, opticians, and they're just, they're fantastic. But I think surrounding yourself with core people that are committed to the same goals that you are is, is pivotal. Um, it's, so I have a few things here that I had written down based on things that had helped me uh, in year one, like for instance, buy the basics, you know, you, you don't need a hundred thousand dollar optos the day you open, you know, uh, buy the basics, get what you need to give an accurate, um, eye exam. And, uh, and then you will build upon that later. Um, also, you know, my, my pivotal role here, when it came to my, the real estate end of it, I couldn't afford a building off the bat. So for me starting out, you got to kind of take what you can get. I was lucky to find a lease in the area on a high traffic road, and but I signed a short-term lease. I signed a three-year lease instead of a long-term lease. I didn't want to do five years or 10 years because I knew the chance was there that we could grow out of this. Now, I also knew that I could renegotiate the lease down the road. So for me, I kind of opened the window, and I'm really glad I did that, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Um, also, I branched out to a lot of... Uh, uh, other um, practitioners in the area. You know, I talked to a lot of PCPs and, and other specialists that I would reach out to and, and I wrote them letters and some I had lunch with and, and we, uh, we sat down and I networked that way to try and increase our patient uh, totals. And, and that seemed to work really, really well. Um, and so there were a couple of tricks of the trade there that, that, uh, uh, that really helped me in my first year. Two questions based on some things you said and feel free just to say, hang on, we'll get to that yeah. as we, as we go through the years. But I'm curious at this point, because a lot of ODs in, in that early stage take somewhat of a passive approach to growth. And they will even say I'm in year three, shouldn't I be farther along? My mind will usually go to what, what plan do you have that you're right. sticking to? So you mentioned 
in that year zero creating a business plan. At this point, do you feel, even though you're working 90 hours a week and seeing six patients, do you feel like you have a plan, a vision of where you're going to be in, in three years, in five years? Absolutely. You do. Okay. Which is Absolutely. great. Yeah. Because you have to, right? You have to. And you know, I, I, for some reason, I've always been blessed to, with the ability of that. I mean, when we developed our building, I could envision myself walking through the building before it was even made. You know, I could see the layout of the building. Same with patient flow, you know, in my, in either office, I was in my initial lease and then my, my building later on, I, I could envision it before it was built. And so it made it easier. I can envision my schedule, you know, my, my full on schedule before I even achieved that, you know, I knew I wanted to achieve this particular schedule for myself and any other uh, employee or associate that came along. So uh, for me, Yes, envisioning envisioning your future is huge, and and uh, it helped me get to that goal quicker because I could see it before I actually got there. The other thing you mentioned is having to wear a lot of hats early on, which is absolutely you are. You're the manager. You're the janitor. You're the the technician. Did you get comfortable as you move through the years in? letting go of some of that control and delegating to others. Cause that's another area where some owners, and I'm sure this is not unique to, to eye care. Absolutely. They have trouble and we call them control freaks or just, they, <laughs> they like to maintain control over everything, but they start to become the bottleneck in the practice and they have a lot of trouble relinquishing control. Is that anything that you had trouble with, or did that come pretty natural for you? It was absolutely not natural. Uh, I completely agree with you, Steve. I, I had a really hard time relinquishing vacuuming the rug. I'm not going to lie to you because, you know, this is your baby and you're, you're building it from nothing. And as you see little increments of success build upon one another, it's really hard to let go of the trust factor, you know, and, uh, and uh, for a while there, I, I wouldn't do it. But I'll tell you, over time, if you're going to grow and you're going to be successful, you have to learn to do that because there is no way that you're going to be able to control this, this animal once it gets to the size that you expect it to get to. So you, you really have to learn to relinquish uh, simple tasks so that you can focus on more complicated tasks. But it's not easy. <laughs> so year two, you're working, year one, we're working 90 hours a week, six patients a day. Yes. As we start to train now going into year two, how do things start to look differently for you? Well, we're, you know, our, our book of business is increasing, right? So we're, we're starting to word of mouth is getting out again, living in a small rural community. That's, that's your best advertisement piece. So word of mouth is getting out. We're starting to build our patient base. We've connected more, more with PCPs and other specialists. So that's really helped us a lot. Um, we've added a couple of pieces to the puzzle here. So the, the first person that I had hired after my initial two is I brought on another a receptionist and shortly after another optician. We, in our area, we had a high demand on um, for, for glasses sales and contacts and so forth. And the one optician we had, she was really working really, really hard. And so we brought on uh, someone with her and, and it's, that was a game changer. There's a few areas in here that I'll talk about that were actually game changers for the practice and for me. And I would say in year two, adding those two extra people was, was huge because you know you have to worry about people being sick, right? You have to worry about people being out. And when you have two employees, if one is out, that's 50% of your workforce, which is huge. So you have to, you have to be willing to um, diversify tasks like we had mentioned, but 
having different people in different roles to assist and always being cross-trained was is, is critical. You know, you want your optician to be able to answer phones and make appointments. You want your receptionist to be able to dispense a pair of glasses and, and contacts. It's critical that people are cross-trained. So in year two, we added that. And then um, already in year two, because I had a three-year lease, we were starting to, we were basically growing out of our current location. So our, our my initial location was 1500 square feet. I had two exam lanes. Um, I had a little uh, area for um, pre-testing and then I had our optical shop. And uh, year two, we could see the writing on the wall that this, this place is not gonna cut it, we're way too busy. So that was probably halfway through year two. I started talking to an architect and laying out a line, um, uh, laying out, um, you know, a plan for a new building for expansion. We were already thinking about that halfway through our lease because I knew if I hadn't, by the time the end of the lease came, I was going to, uh, you know, have to hurry up or it wasn't going to get done. So we started, uh, my uncle was a huge help to me. He was my general contractor when we built our building. But regardless, um, he and I had met with the architect well in advance because we, we knew the writing on the wall was that we weren't going to be able to fit there much longer. So that was kind of year two. We were pretty blessed in year two. Year three for me, uh, not to push ahead here, was COVID. And we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, COVID. Okay. All right. I, so you know, I hadn't even thought about that in the five years. Yeah. Um, quick quick, quick follow-ups on that. And then let's jump into that COVID year, because that's really interesting and in how you navigated that as a, as a yeah. new practice. We had some practices sure. that actually started in, in the COVID year. So you're at yes. least a couple of years in. I'm curious about, you, you mentioned a critical part of year two was these new hires, so what is your process for deciding when to hire and also who to hire? Because now Absolutely. you're getting in, you, when it starts and it's just you and maybe one other person or uh, two other people, you're, you're just this small team. You start yes. getting into three, four, five employees. You've got something on your hands called a culture that you've got to maintain. Absolutely. And it's only going to become more relevant the bigger you grow to make yeah. sure that we, we have a clearly defined culture and that we're hiring for that. So I'm just curious what, what was your process for deciding, hey, we need somebody else or we need a few other people? And also, how do I go about selecting someone who's going to be a good fit for my practice? So for me, initially, I um, I kind of tried to put myself last. So I would look at my employees and and I would see where we needed, where the highest demand was, who's drowning right now, who's getting, who's, who's, who's really, you know, trying to keep up and, and their heads barely above water. And you know, that that's where I would choose my next employee. So I would say, okay, I'm fine teching for myself. I can work up. And by now I'm, you know, I'm seeing 10, 12, 14 exams a day or whatever. And I'm really running, but um, I'm also seeing that my optician is, is drowning. Right. So I said, well, we need an optician. So I hired um, someone that, that could come in and work with her as an assistant optician. And then, uh, then I would look at my receptionist and say, wow, she's, she needs a day off, you know, and I don't know where I'm going to give it to her. So we're getting another, uh, uh, you know, receptionist. And then once we got through that and everything kind of the, you know, the, 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 the seas kind of calm, then I said to myself, all right, now I need a technician to help me uh, cut some of the backlog off so that I can focus on other things. Now, still at this point in year two, I'm still doing all my own billing, which to be honest with you, I'd never done in my life. And so, you know, I'm, I'm half afraid that I'm going to get in trouble for doing things wrong. And I'm, but on the other hand, my optician was actually a certified biller before she was an optician. So she was a huge asset to me. I think if she wasn't, I probably would have used an outside billing source because I, I was, I, I didn't know what was going on, but she 
was able to educate me. So we'd split the load. She'd do the vision plans. I'd do the medical plans, which sometimes were a little bit easier. And then, um, and then we would, we would bill it that way. And, uh, and then, uh, so yeah, when it came to picking an individual, you have to really put your staff first before yourself, because, you know, without your staff, you're nobody. And, and I, and I've always felt that way. And I've, I'm very blessed. I have a wonderful staff and I'm very grateful. And, and, you know, we've had very little turnover, knock on wood in our, in our, uh, in our practice. And I feel it's because, you know, the staff sees that I'm absolutely going to put them ahead of myself. There's no doubt about it. I think that's so critical. I heard something early on when I started taking on this role of consulting and I might not get it exact, but it was something along the lines of your ability to, to be successful owning a practice directly correlates with your ability to lead a small team of people. That really stuck with me because I don't think people a lot of times give leadership it's do credit or it's you understand the importance of that, especially as a practice grows because you do become so dependent on the people on your team and they really can make a break, um, a practice. Absolutely. So it, it was probably around early 20. I remember coming home run one day from work and my wife was almost in tears and she says, can you believe they canceled school for two weeks over this thing? Right. That was the very start of COVID. Looking yes. back, it's funny that it was two weeks. And then after that, the the world just kind of melted. Absolutely. What did year three mean for you and your practice? Well, I'll tell you, that was that was a challenging year, but a good year in 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 a different way. All right. So here's what I mean by that. We had broken ground on my new building when COVID hit. And my uncle looks at me and he says, I don't know what this is going to d- turn into. You sure you want to do this? And I said, well, the ground's broken. There's no turning back now, right? So that was a very challenging and stressful year because you would see your, especially during that uh, up here, you know, April, May, June timeline where, you know, we were really cutting back. And uh, while I was still in my leased location, there were there were there there was a month there or two where I was the only person in the office. I didn't want my staff there. I was answering phones. I was dispensing glasses. I was selling glasses. I was working up people's exams. I was doing the whole thing. And I was lucky to get an exam in an hour. And, uh, you know, it it was, I was saying to myself, my gosh, how is this going to work out? But in the end, it really did work out because, you know, things calmed down. Construction, you know, takes a while. So we we got through that. And um, and the, the key about year three for me was I hired a biller. Billers, I can't tell you how critical they are. You know, they're, they're, my biller is absolutely fantastic. She's been with me since then. Um, she changed the, the, the landscape for my work schedule, right? So I reduced my hours in year three from 80 hours a week to about 50. And I literally felt like I was on vacation. Like it was unbelievable. The, the biller was probably for me personally, one of the biggest game changers of anything. So that was a huge positive with year three. Um, COVID was challenging for everyone. And, and you know, we, we certainly applied for the PPP loans and that helped a lot when it came to payroll and keeping everybody on staff and so forth. And we were lucky to be able to get back to practice fairly quickly, of course, using all the protective uh, garb and all of that. But um, that was uh, definitely an interesting year, no doubt about it. I'm curious, as you focused on the biller and when you brought this up, in I think in year one, the importance of your staff being able to multitask and and yes. and take on different roles. 
as the practice started to get bigger and you hired more people, do you still take that approach in year five, year four, yes. year five, or have you found that they're more specialized? Because I've seen um, both and I don't know if there's one better way than the other. Yeah, you know, we we really try and and keep everybody absolutely cross-trained, you know, and, and I'm not saying that everybody can do everything, but you know, if, if someone is out at the stage we're at right now, we don't feel it. You know, we, we have somebody that can pop in their place and, um, and, and take over and, and fill the gap rather someone is, you know, sick or on vacation or whatnot. So I absolutely, when I hire, I take the same approach as I did year one in the sense of one, you have to find the right personality to jive. And that actually is the hardest part. As you grow, you have more people, right? And everybody has a different personality. And, the person you bring on, you want to kind of fit with everybody. And that's hard. You know, when you have two people hiring someone to match with those two people is a lot easier than when you have 12 people. So, you know, it's, and, and it doesn't always work, but for the most part, if you're careful on who you hire, you, you, you really take the time to do a good interview um, and you know where their interests are, then, then absolutely. And, and, during an interview process with any employee, I always ask them, I say, you know, what do you like to do? You know, I don't want to make you do something you're not going to want to do. You're, you may have applied for this receptionist position, but <clears throat> do you like optical work? Is that something that would interest you? Are you interested in billing? Are you interested in teching? You know, and I, again, and it's amazing the people, what they'll say. Some people say, oh God, I don't have any interest in that, but that sounds really cool. And, and in the end, a lot of people that I hire end up doing different positions than what they started with. And, and it's just because of that interest. So it's, you know, I think the interview process is really critical. And I hope people pay attention to that last part you just said, because I think it's such a great question to ask, not even just people you're hiring, but people who already work for you. What right. do you like to do? What what part of this job gives you joy? I think we have to consider it these days with the job market we're in, where there's a lot of turnover. And if you want to keep people, it may be the one thing that keeps people tied to a job, even when there's right. a... a, a slightly better offer somewhere else in terms of pay, but also loyalty. I mean, mm -hmm. I, if, if you go to work and you like your boss and your boss actually cares about your well-being and happiness at work, I think you're going to be lo more loyal to that, um, to that, that practice. So it, it's really, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things continue to come back to, to staff for me. So I'm curious, I don't, I don't want to jump around because we will, we'll jump into year four, but a question that's on my mind now is, do you have a manager? Cause now your, your team is getting bigger you probably hit that point where you found that it's difficult to manage all these people yes. and do eye exams. So uh, I'm just curious if you have a manager and what that relationship is like. Yeah. So there's, there's a young woman. So the, the, the lady who started as my receptionist day one, she is someone that we now consider our office manager and her and I really do divide tasks. You know, it's, she is fantastic at a lot of things. And then there's other things that I'm still not very good at relinquishing, like we had talked about earlier. <laughs> now, does that put more work on my plate? Yes, it does. But she is terrific. And uh, so she's grown with me. So she started as a receptionist. She basically wrote the book on what we do as a receptionist at our practice. And then as we grew, she converted into a technician. And so she, she taught people how to be a receptionist. And she then became a technician. And Within the last year or so, she's also learned how to run our optical. So she has really worn all the hats like myself, and she's one that I trust wholeheartedly to, uh, to go into the trenches with me every day. And I can basically rely on her for everything. 
she, her current position right now outside of managing is that she is afloat. So she doesn't have a specific role. She's not a receptionist. She's not an optician. She's not a technician. She's a fill-in. So she handles all the behind scenes uh, paperwork and various other things that I don't have time to do that I trust her to do. But then if someone's out, she can fill in an optical, she can fill in a technician in the technician area, or she can uh, fill in a receptionist and she, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just seamless. So um, I think having a, a good uh, manager is vital to to the practice of it, uh, to the success of a practice, especially as that practice ages. Um, but at the same time, I still think that the doctor has to have his hand in that. He can't completely or she can't completely relinquish that task to someone else because then you lose touch with what's going on with certain aspects of the practice. You know, and and for me, I've never been one to not work. I work five days a week. I see patients five days a week and I'm usually at the practice six or seven days a week. Now, granted on the weekend, I may pop in and make sure the AC is running, you know, silly things like that. But for the most part, I'm still very much committed to my practice. And a lot of my, a lot of my uh, associates have said, you're crazy working five days a week. Why don't you work three or four? But for me, one, I enjoy being there. Two, I actually enjoy working. And three, you know, when it comes down to it, I feel like if my staff sees me devoted, they're going to also be devoted. And I have staff still to this day that say, you're the, you know, you're, you're here more than anybody. Why don't you, why don't you take a vacation? And my staff actually talked me into a vacation this year, which was good. But for the most part, I, I mean, I know that can, that can go either way. Right. I mean, it's, it's a burnout's a real thing and I get that. But for me, I enjoy seeing my patients. I enjoy working hard. I don't mind that. At some point, if I don't enjoy that, then I'll cut back my my time. But for right now, I enjoy it. You mentioned the what a game changer it was to get a good biller in there. Mm. I hear this a lot with managers that how how much of a difference that can make in the the practice and the office flow. And I I agree completely. The owner still needs to be involved. But when you get a certain number of employees, it's like chasing or, you know, it's like herding cats, right? There's yes. just too many employees out there. So you almost, you need that mid-level manager, that point of contact that you can meet with. And there's an understanding there. And then that person can, can take the, um, you know, make sure that everything is running smoothly than with the team. So I hear that a lot with managers and I always tell people, if you want to work six days a week, work six days a week, if you want to work one day a week, try to set it up. But as you know, the day may come where you decide I, I actually don't want to be here five days a week anymore. I right. want to be here three days a week or two days a week. So I I'm sure you've thought this through as well is, is building that practice that isn't completely dependent on you. You can be there every day if you want to, but down yep. the road, knowing that I'm, I'm building a model here that I don't necessarily have to be here. And I, I think you'd agree. It's probably the people you put and the management, the systems and the managers mm -hmm that you put in place, if that's running smoothly, like any other business, it, it'll allow you to step away if you want to. I think you're absolutely correct. Having the right pieces of the puzzle is critical. And uh, I feel very comfortable. And, and, you know, when I first started, I did not feel comfortable ever leaving the practice. And now, you know, if I have a CE, you know, out of New England or whatever, which I had recently, it was fantastic. I, I completely trusted my staff. I had the pieces in place where the practice could run autonomously without me. And I, I really didn't worry about it. So the key, like you had mentioned, that is absolutely vital to, to being, being able to do that as the practice uh, matures.
So where are you at in, in year four? People are starting to come out of their house a little bit. They're looking around. Can we get a little closer than six foot? Is, is it right. okay if I take this mask off? The world is slowly starting to return to normal a little bit. Yes. What does four, year four look like for you? So year four, it was kind of towards the end of year three, but year four, the floodgates opened, Steve. It was crazy. I mean, we we were so inundated with patients that were due for an eye exam, but hadn't had one the year before either. So we were getting flooded immensely in year four and, and I could not keep up. It was insane. So this is the year that we hired our associate. And uh, this doctor I had known for quite a few years prior. And, uh, you know, he um, he had come on board and he was looking for a long-term stable type of place to be. And uh, he didn't live far from where we practice and it the, the shoe fit really, really well. And so he and I um, decided to have him come aboard and thank God we did because that, that right there was the game changer for year four. You know, year four was hiring the associate, being able to delegate tasks to him and patient load, which was huge. Um, and also, you know, at this point, we also continued to add staff members to support him. And, you know, anytime you make a big change like that, you're going to make a bigger change in adding a lot more, you know, people to be able to to assist in him because there's no way you're going to be able to keep the same staff size if you keep adding doctors. So it, it was a, it was a heavy growth year. Year four was a really immense growth growth year. And uh, um, a couple of tidbits for people out there. Year four was at the point where you know you're starting to control or you have control of your debt service. Um, you're starting to have a little more money in the bank. And this is where you go out and you buy that piece of equipment that you couldn't afford before. Or, you know, you hire that extra staff member to take that load off or that you couldn't maybe afford or were afraid to hire before. Um, and I've uh, year four was the year that I realized I, I will never be understaffed again. There was a lull there where you kind of learn as you go. And, uh, you know, I, I um, there was a period there where we were understaffed and it was very stressful. So you learn, this was one of the things that I learned that year where it's like, wow, we really need to, make sure we have that extra staff member on hand. And I've done that ever since, and I'm, I'm glad I have. But the other thing in year four, too, that I found was really, really useful was that uh, we started to, I mean, we've always done this, but year four, we really started to give back to the community. You know, the community had supported us for three or four years solid. And, you know, we were grateful. So, you know, we, we really started getting into sponsoring uh, a lot of the, the kids' sports. And uh, we, um, we sponsored local concerts, which they do in the park. And, uh, um, you know, we hired local people like gardeners to come in and, and do work. And, and uh, we even um, at Christmas, we, uh, we paid for all the parking meters downtown for a week, and they, they would put like a, a plastic uh, advertisement on the meters saying, uh, you're all set courtesy of hometown eye care or whatever. So it was pretty cool where, you know, we love to give back to the community and the community responded and that, to be honest with you, it paid for itself because that advertisement alone, you know, increased our patient uh, base as well. So you know, you get to the point in year four where you're like, okay, I'm starting to figure this out. Um, let's start to give back a little bit. It's really interesting that you brought that up because I try to look for those weird intangible things yes. when I'm talking with with practices that I guess we'd consider um, successful practices. And that's something I typically find. I think some things we know, right? We we know the customer service thing, whether we're delivering it or not, we, we yes. know that that's something that we should do. But what I find pretty consistently is that doctors who own successful practices in many cases are very involved in their communities. And I, I, I hear that time and time again. 
and it, I, I, I find that very interesting. I think it's important to become, especially in a smaller community, I, I think you can do this, the doctor to go to, right? Every mm. small town, every rural community seems to have that, that one doctor. There might be seven doctors in town, but the one that everybody knows about. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I helped that I grew up here and I've had connections here since I was three years old. So for me, that's that was a huge help to growing my practice. And I know not everybody has that. But, you know, if you have a niche like that, utilize it, you know, utilize it and, and give back to the community that helped you. And I'm telling you, you, you always give you always receive 10 times of what you give. And I truly believe that. Quick follow up on the associate that you hired, mm -hmm. because that's another cre uh, critical position to fill, especially yeah. if you don't want to be there all the time. If you're the only OD, you kind of have to be there all the time, right? right. You can't delegate <laughs> that to your um, to your tech. But when you get to a certain point of growth and the next natural stage is typically to hire an associate, was that a smooth transition? A lot of times what I'll hear with the associates, and I think a lot of this just comes from a lack of communication. Mm -hmm. It's almost never clinical. When, when that situation goes sideways, almost never has to do with clinical abilities. It's very Correct. rare. It's usually somebody who's just not, maybe not the best fit for that practice, whether they Correct. don't bring the right, um, you know, the right attitudes or they don't show the same level of, of caring and compassion for the patients. Productivity comes up a lot as well in yes. with an owner that'll say, well, my productivity is this and my associate is, is quite a bit different and not right. in a good way. So, right. How do you bridge those gaps? I mean, was it did you get lucky and hire somebody who's just a really good fit? Did it require some communication, some setting expectations? What what was your process with that? Well, I I did luck out a little bit because the associate I had he and I worked together for quite a few years prior to uh, me opening even. And you know, we had always joked about down the road. He always used to say, "Hey, if you," because I had always kind of chewed the fat with him and said, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. And he goes, if you ever do, give me a call, you know? And, and so that, that night I gave him the call, we actually went out to dinner and I asked him to get the band back together, you know? And, uh, and he was, he was very on board with that and it's been wonderful. So, you know, I, I can't tell you that I just um, pulled the name from a hat and, and said, well, maybe this patient person will work, but in retrospect, you know, if, if thinking on that line, I, I think you have to go through the same process that you would any interview. And, you know, you have to look for personality traits and really, you know, this, this pay, this person that you're hiring is one of the most critical people in your office. So you, you have to really do your homework on these people, but um you know, if they have a similar goal and, and there's things that I, when I'm in an interview, like with a doctor, I always ask different things, like less practice stuff and more area stuff. Like, Hey, what do you like to do? And, and what brings you to this area? Why, why do you like this area? With my current associate, I didn't have to do that because he had lived here for 20 years, but you know, in, in that situation, those would be questions I would ask even more than what's your specialty. And what do you, you know, it's, it's more important that, Hey, does your, does your spouse like it here? Or, you know, are your kids in school or you know, things of that nature? So, you know, I, I really feel like people don't leave practices unless they they don't either like the area or they don't have something in common with the area. So I, I think doing the homework on the person's interests are almost more important than their, their practice ability. And I think just having that conversation with somebody, I think it was, J it was Jay Bink Binkowitz once who told me that, you know, part of my interview is just having a conversation and trying to Absolutely. decide if this is somebody I'd like to go have a beer with or a coffee, right. depending on what time of day it is, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think you, that that's a, such a big component too, is this is the person that you're going to entrust your patients to. Are they yes. going to like him? Right. Are they going to like her? I agree. So, all right. That brings us into year five. 
of yeah. the journey. So what what's going on now? And uh, uh, as maybe a, an extension onto that, I'm curious about what's not only going on now, but what's your six going to look like for you? What what do you got planned for the future that's going to lead to continued growth for your practice? So I think in year five, you know, um, year five, you've kind of got it figured out. It's like when you hit your forties, right? You, you get, you get to in your twenties, you have no clue in your thirties, you kind of have an idea. And in your forties, you finally figure it out. And, uh, I think, I think for us, year five, we've kind of figured it out. You know, we, we, uh, we know our avenues where our patients are coming from. We know our demographic we're serving. Um, at this point, we've pretty much acquired all the equipment and all the, all the necessary things to make our practice uh, stand out. And now it's a matter of kind of rolling along and seeing what we need to update as we need to update them or as things break, you know? Um, so I think year five is, uh, kind of like the transition between year two and three is what's next, you know, where do we go from here? And, um, you know, you look at your, your patient base and you look at how much you're, how busy you are and we're, we're incredibly busy. So the question is, do we have enough room in the building for another, doctor do we decide to expand you know we're having conversations of that well this has been very helpful i can't imagine someone who's considering opening a practice or maybe even in the first few years or even just i i think some of these are time-tested principles that if you've been doing this for 20 years and even if you just want to put a new spark into the practice a lot of these things we've talked about is is having a clear plan, a clear vision, investing yes. into your staff, investing into the technology, giving back to the community. Um, and I think a lot of people know this, but but are we doing it? Are you doing it as a practice owner? So, um, Joel, this is great. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And, you know, if I could give a piece of advice to anybody, it would be if you can envision it, you can it'll happen. It's going to happen. You know, you just have to see it and you have to realize you have to have faith in yourself and uh, I mean, I'm no different than anybody else. You know, I, I started cold at 37 and I know people that beat me by 10 years on that one. So ultimately it's, it can happen as long as you treat your staff well and you treat your patients like family, you, you really have nothing to worry about. Yeah. There's two things I, I didn't even realize before I took on this role, how important it was. And that leadership component is one of them. So many things I started hearing that were problematic for the practice, whether that would be the staff didn't get along or we're just not growing a very simple question started to come to my mind with many of these practices. Who's in charge there? I mean, who who is taking control of growing the practice and and making sure that the staff is clear on expectations and building a culture and all those things? You've if you're an owner, the minute you take on ownership, you really have to look in the mirror and 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 take on that responsibility. Right. And the um, but yeah, but yeah, everything else is has has been great. Like I said, I really appreciate your time and we wish you continued success. Maybe in another five years we'll come back and and cover years five through ten. <laughs> That's maybe you'll be like, oh, I'm so tired. Remember that part about five days a week? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, on, exactly. I'm calling in know. from an island right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll well, but yeah, that's the goal. I mean, do do what you want to do. It's your life and and live it the way you want to live it, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Joel. Uh, we'll close out thank there. You. And I will end by saying thank you to Joel and thanks to everyone for listening. And if you'd like to hear more about IDOC and how we work with ODs to help them grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. So thanks for listening.